0: you're going to want to be able to have a good creative pipeline as well. If you're not capable of creating new content every single week, then you're definitely going to see a drop in overall sales volume.
1: Hello, and welcome to the Optimized Store Owners Show, a podcast that helps frustrated store owners become optimized store owners. We are your hosts, Aaron. And
0: Christian. We want to invite you to join us each week as we share tips, tactics, and strategies from the most inspiring entrepreneurs in the e-commerce industry. This podcast will help you add flexibility, stability, and happiness into your life. Ready? Let's go. Hey, y'all.
2: I hope you are having a great day. Today was a super value-packed episode. I learned a ton of information from Chase, and I think he really broke it down in an easy-to-digest episode where you can go and implement things that were Actually talked about in the episode it is not a ton of surface level information. It's things that you can actually go and execute right now. You're going to learn a lot in this episode. Like I said, we break down the best practices for TikTok organic, TikTok ads, Facebook ads, and even how to increase the conversion rate on your website. So if you are an e-commerce brand or a clothing store, just really trying to grow and take your business to that next level, this is a value-packed episode for you. Enjoy. All right, Chase, thank you so much for for joining us on the
0: podcast. Thanks for having me.
2: Absolutely. So, for those who don't know, I just I I really don't like to spend a ton of time on intros and stuff, but um, I think it's uh it's always important to give people some context if they don't know who somebody is online. So, uh, a little bit about the the agency um you have there. What makes you guys special, and then we'll dive deep into some specifics here with with e commerce.
0: Yeah. So we have three businesses. Uh, one is the agency. We're focused on TikTok and Facebook ads, and then content creation for UGC specifically. Uh, and then we have a training business where we train thousands of uh, brands, e-commerce stores, B2B businesses on how to manage it in-house if they're not looking to have an agency specifically. If they're looking to internalize it or if they already have a marketing department that's pre-established and they're just essentially looking to learn how to implement these steps themselves. And then the third one is our tracking company for attribution, uh, Surge.io.
2: Very cool. So the what portion of the business do you guys focus the most on? Is it pretty evenly defined or they, they complement each other? What is how does that work?
0: They all complement each other. They share the same types of clients. If somebody comes to us and wants to work with us on the agency side, then we'll be able to manage the ads for them. If they're looking to learn it in house, then we'll be able to show them. And then Surge provides tracking for, you know, clients on Shopify for whichever direction they go no matter what.
2: Got it. Okay. So, diving uh, deeper into the ad side of things right now. what um, I, I, Actually, let's take a step back and actually not just take a conversation about what's happening right now with, with AI and how did that how it potentially affects your business, but also how you guys are leveraging it to help other people. Or are you guys just exploring? I know this is super early on and then we can type... I think go back into deeper into like what's working in general because I think you do a good job of keeping people up to date with what works with different types of, of ads. But AI is definitely a topic of conversation right now um, what do you personally think about it or, or are you testing it what is what are you guys doing right now
0: yeah I mean it's definitely going to change the landscape we have clients that are testing GPT with ad copy we have somebody literally generated all of their ads from the um copy they received from GPT and averaging a 7 to 10x ROAS that's not the case for everyone but essentially how you prompt these tools is going to be the best utilization case for how you get your results like you can ask it a generic question like, write ad copy for diapers, well, that's going to be very different if you ask it to have humor or if you ask it specifically um, to narrow in the audience on who you're actually wanting to go after, it's going to give you a very different response. And If you can figure out how to prompt AI and stuff like that right now, it could be a very beneficial tool. But a lot of times people will ask a generic question because they're just learning about it and it's not always a useful you know, response. So you got to want to know how to use the tool. And that's just going to come from testing and learning how to prompt these things a little bit better. And we're seeing things with images and image generation where like you might not necessarily have a studio to shoot content and people are uploading a blank product image and getting, you know, the product shown on a bunch of different landscapes, which is really interesting to see. So it's definitely going to affect things over time. And I think it's going to have a big impact both on the creative front and um, the marketing industry as a whole.
2: Definitely. Yeah. It's one of those things where I'm, I'm going back and forth of like how to how to best leverage this. I was just looking at a tool today, which was like, okay, it's touting as being able to do like everything that you mentioned right there, all in one. And it's like, okay, how power is this possible yet? And if not, is it five years away, ten years away? Who knows? So, um, I think it's it's definitely healthy to have the conversation of what it looks like to to stay relevant in the landscape, but. um so I think I think the first way that I found you and what you've done really well is um is creating content on TikTok and uh, for your for you guys brand and then have leveraged that to your clients. What are what would you say is some of the mistakes that people are making? Because I see people who are like, all right, I just need to go out and create a ton of content on TikTok, and then for some reason. I'm not blowing up. What is that? So, I mean, what are you guys doing that's different? And then, you know, what are you uh, teaching those um, to do better on TikTok to actually generate the views and, and more importantly, the sales?
0: Totally. Yeah. So, I mean, every industry is different. Um, But what you'll notice is there's some creators who maintain view volume and there's others who don't. And as a beginner, it's totally fine to test. You want to find out what video format's going to work for you. But a lot of times people never end up sticking to one specific strategy once something does work. If you have a creative format that is absolutely crushing it, let's say it's a reaction style video, and you're going out in public and getting people's reactions around, you know, uh, a specific product or just around a specific question. Well, if people are asking a bunch of random questions and only certain questions are popping off, then you're only sometimes going viral. Whereas if you always know a specific question you're asking in public gets the same reactions, they get the same reviews every time, and your view volume is maintaining, Well, then you should only ask that question with that format and then try to find another one alongside that that you can add into the mix. So the goal is ultimately to test, see what videos are going to viral, and if they're achieving your goal. If your goal is views, then that'd be what you're striving for. If it's for leads, then that'd be what you're going for. If it sells, then that's what you're looking for. And there's always going to be things you can do to your video from the editing, how you phrase it, the storyline of the actual uh, post that you make on TikTok. Controversial content works well. Stories with founders work well. There's a lot of different formats that maintain view volume. And as long as you can start to understand these frameworks, then you can start to see a lot of viral growths.
2: Where would they go to uh, start to see the different frameworks? Obviously, you're you're looking at content not just from an enjoyment standpoint, but like looking at it as like, I see what these people are doing. Do you suggest for people to go and basically mimic viral videos or do you suggest that they um, try to pick up different editing styles and if so like what's the best way for them to kind of get their feet wet to to create I would say more effective content
0: yeah so a good way of doing this is going on TikTok and what your industry you're in let's say you're in the clothing space if you go to the hashtag clothing and you look at the top videos in the space you'll start to notice um, some of the videos have 10 million views 40 million views 5 million views and find a video style that makes sense that you can recreate plug in your t-shirt, hoodie, whatever your product is, and replace of how they filmed it, film it in a very similar style. If there's a specific call to action around their offer, just replace it with your offer, and you're likely to see 10% of that. And then if it works, then you want to replicate that over and over again over time. So you can, you know, do the research just by searching the hashtags in your space and see who's getting the most consistent views and what uh, videos are performing well, and then model those just replacing it with your own content so that way it's unique and authentic to you.
2: From I think it was a video, maybe it was one in the past or something like that. It's um, it, it's TikTok is always changing, just like Facebook or anything. And I, I want to jump over there, like the ad side of things here in a second. But how are you staying up to date with um, with what's happening with TikTok? Because I think I it was a video maybe a couple of weeks ago that you put out that was you know TikTok's not looking for these things in the algorithm anymore. It's actually favoring these things, and like it just continues to adapt it over time. Um. So how how are you staying ahead of those or um, seeing different trends or is it just application use for yourself? Or I'm just trying to, yeah, other than watching your YouTube videos, which tell people to go do that. But um, how do they keep up with that to make it so relevant for themselves?
0: Yeah, it's definitely a mix of all of those things. Um, one piece of information is from the updates they release. They give insights and updates on how the For You page receives videos and how it's customized for you. There's a ranking system for it. So essentially, if you view videos that are always 30 seconds and below and you engage with that style of content, you're more likely to see trends or, you know, videos that are always going to be under that um framework. And then there's videos I'll engage with that are always around a minute long, and I get served way more videos that are a minute long because of that. And you can actually hover over the video and say, why am I seeing this um, video on my For You page? And I'll tell you, I'll say, you engage 90% more uh, frequently with videos that are between 45 seconds and a minute long. So that usually means that I'm more engaged with something that has a little bit more contextual background, it's longer, there's a lot more wording in there. And so that solid content shows up on my feed. Now the key point about that is every person's feed is going to be a little bit more different than others. So like if somebody sees a trending sound and they really engage with that song and it keeps popping up on their feed, they're going to see a lot of videos where people are using that as well. So it's important to, you know, have a variety of things that you're testing and also understanding what your audience actually pays attention to. Because if your videos are always around a minute long, if you have a video pop off, all your other videos are gonna follow in tune if they're similar in style or in sequence. But if they're six seconds and then some use trending sounds and some don't, it's gonna be inconsistent. So when that video pops off, it's gonna be the only video that really rises in views. And it might have a little bit of a trickle effect when people hit your profile. But if all of your videos are similarly formatted, they're all around the same link, they all have different you know, um, coverings in terms of what they're going over and fill into the overall story, you'll see a grand lift in your entire profile because of it. So the algorithm favors one, you know, your view duration, but also looks for comments. If you comment on a person's profile, you're more likely to see that video over and over again um, from other videos on their account, even if you don't follow them. So you don't even have to follow somebody, but you might notice you see that creator more frequently on your account because of it. And so when people comment, let's say you like Alex Earl and you like her account, Well, other creators who comment Alex Earl or tag her in their videos, you might actually see their videos now because you're interested in that. So TikTok's building this catalog of information on you and making your feed more and more relevant, which is important for a creator to understand that in terms of what style of content they do. Because if you don't stick in some form of a category, it's going to be really hard because you might get videos that go crazy viral for something you're not necessarily an expert in or something you want to go viral for. And that can be confusing for a lot of creators, and they go down a path that they thought you know would get the views, but it's not really resulting in anything for them, ultimately.
2: Very well, I, I think, explained. And also, makes a lot of sense, too. And I see that personally, where I like one video, and then I go to their page, and then it's like, nothing is relevant at all. So you're like, okay, I'm, I'm clicking off of this now, because it makes no sense. So... Y- Taking that organic piece, the next thing that I mean, that I think that logically makes sense for people that they have a question about is the advertising side. So, if your TikTok is doing well organically, does that typically mean you're going to do better with ads, or what's how do you differentiate the two of them from it? And then, like, how would you go about setting up ads for TikTok and making sure that you have enough creative suggestion of budget? Just, yeah, kind of a step by step, maybe, um, on what to do for the advertising with TikTok.
0: Yeah, so I mean, they're definitely two different strategies. If you're good at organic, then you're going to have an edge in terms of content creation. You know how to keep people engaged. So that's definitely going to help with your ads. The main thing about an ad is you still want it to blend in with the feed, but you're going to want a strong call to action and you're going to want to make sure that you're clearly going over your offer in this case. Call to action would be swipe left. Um, to shop now or get 40% off, that is, you know, your offer, you want to highlight those things in your ads for sure, because it definitely can help. And you know, there's a ranking system that's publicly available on TikTok's creative center where it tells you uh, which keywords and what offers are getting the best cost per action and the best click through rates. So you can start to leverage these tools to understand, you know, what kind of offer actually works on TikTok. And then once you have that established, you can start to build your videos around this. So an ad, if you're going to have an offer in it, you need to, one, demonstrate your product throughout the video, but you also want to have voice overlays talking about it. You want to have text, so that way if people don't have their sound all the way up, or, you know, they can actually read and follow along, that's also important. And then once they make it to the end of the video, they can go ahead and shop on your page. So those are some of the key things you're going to want to focus on in your ad. And you're going to want to be able to have a good creative pipeline as well. If you're not capable of creating new content every single week, then you're definitely going to see a drop in overall sales volume. TikTok tells us in their you know documents that creative lasts on average seven days. And that's because the algorithm is so uh, different on people's feeds. And there's so many things that are always constantly changing that they want fresh content for the ads. And so it's important if you have a really good creative that's amazing but it's probably not gonna perform well next week. So you need something else running in tune with it. And that can be really challenging for a lot of uh, businesses and brands who've just never had to adhere to such a, you know, intense schedule for their ads.
1: Hey, so owners, are you ready to grow and scale your online business predictably and profitably? We've created a free 15 minute training that will walk you through the five key areas every online store needs to achieve financial success. You can grab the free training by going to storeowner dot com forward slash ecom dash training, or clicking the link below in the podcast description. Again, that is storeowner dot com forward slash ecom dash training.
2: So, for the if they're coming up with content every single week from that point, would you suggest? Because I think a lot of people have the. Uh, the shiny object syndrome, I guess, at this point, where they want to focus on creating TikTok ads. In your opinion, as an e-commerce brand, or specifically, a lot of people who we work with are, are clothing stores as well. Does it make more sense to to try TikTok and spend your budget there? Right. Let's say they had, you know, five thousand or ten thousand dollars a month. Are you spending your money still specifically on Facebook and Instagram? Or are you testing it with TikTok and other things as well? Or how would you divide up that budget? Kind of CPU. They're just Like help people spend it because I think they see TikTok and they're like, I got to just move all of my budgets to TikTok or I need to move a majority or something. And so I think there's everybody talks about how great TikTok ads are. But like you said, if you can't keep up with the creative, I think that runs into an issue. So
0: Totally. Yeah, I would definitely recommend starting with Facebook first. And realistically, you want that platform to be consistent before adding in TikTok. TikTok's really Mm -hmm. not like a first platform you want to initially go to uh, just because of the amount of demands it requires and the minimum to start your budget is $20 whereas on Facebook you can start you know $5 $2 daily Um, and so essentially with that and Facebook's going to be more consistent they have a lot more data and uh, or users over time and the audiences are very capable there and they're not fluctuating so significantly whereas on TikTok you have a hashtag that you might be targeting and that hashtag might be trending that week but the following week if nobody's using that hashtag the view volume is dropping and the audience is disappearing so that starts to affect your overall audience as well so facebook's definitely good to focus on first it's going to be more consistent the rois are going to be uh, consi- consistent if you know what you're doing on the platform and it can last a lot longer of the time period you don't have to refresh your creative every week necessarily on facebook you can get away with months with some creatives from time to time and that's really good for a business owner because they can focus on the other aspects of their business and they can scale up pretty significantly on facebook if you're able to get 5,000 now and get a good ROI, you're probably capable of getting to 15,000 if you just know how to do the right things with scaling. And if you're at 15K, then it's probably a little bit more room to get to 30K, 45K. There's always a little bit more to squeeze out of that before you hit a, you know, an equilibrium point where it starts to become a diminished return. Once you start to see around that factor in that time period, then you're like, okay, let's test another platform like Google or TikTok, right? And then TikTok's more top of funnel awareness anyways. It's not going to be your conversion machine. You might have a explosive growth one week, but what you're really going to get out of it is the clicks, the views, and the search volume. So it's going to mm. be a lot of good brand awareness. People are going to discover you there. They might not necessarily buy from you, but they'll see your Facebook ad and buy. And you're also going to get a lot of view volume, which is great because you're getting out there, unlike on Facebook and Instagram where the view volume isn't nowhere near uh, what it is because of the CPMs with the ads. Mm. Mm. TikTok, talking can get really low CPMs, reach a lot of new people. And that results in people searching about your brand. We see the Google search volume increase dramatically, which can make your Google ads work more efficiently and also rise your rankings over there, which is super helpful. So it's like these things play together, but you got to understand what piece of the pie, you know, TikTok plays in. It's not going to be the place that you're trying to maximize your overall ROI. It's more of a brand play. Plus, you're going to get money back, obviously. But Facebook's going to be, you know, you're more direct, return an ad spend and TikTok's going to be filling your funnel overall.
2: I want to I want to shift gears here to something that I think you've talked about before and then more so an area that um I think Christian understands a lot more than I do, which is the the website side and you've done I think a good job of uh just like a different I think it was maybe a different trend of like websites or something like that in the back in the in the past of something on TikTok, but a lot of these sites have really high converting sites so I'm curious Yeah, what are you seeing that sites that have a high conversion rate do compared to other sites? Because I've seen some really great sites and then they tell me their conversion rate. And I'm like, that's very surprising that you are like, you don't even have 1%. Like, it doesn't make sense. So maybe you can talk like generalities of like a, you know, what you're seeing conversion rate wise. And then what are some things that are mostly missing for a high converting site? or, uh, And then we can go down that rabbit hole a little bit.
0: Yeah, there's a lot of things that affect a conversion rate. It can be with the ad. You can send bad traffic to your site and have a terrible conversion rate. You could solve it by sending the right types of people to your product. I mean, if you're going back to the diapers example, if you're trying to sell diapers to, you know, somebody who's a single male that has no kid, I mean, there's not really a purpose for diapers, right? So visiting that site isn't going to result in a conversion. So one, you got to make sure you have the right audience, and then you work yourself down from there. If you're sending the right people, if the ads are communicating effectively and getting those people to the website then the next step is okay which page are we sending them to are we sending them to the homepage the homepage doesn't even have a product or call to action your conversion rate is going to be lower and the next thing is if you're sending them to a collection page okay great is it a best sellers page is it just a collection where it's all products and you're just showing a bunch of random products well that can affect your conversion rate best sellers usually tend to be a little bit higher in conversion rate because it shows the best selling products first if you apply that across you know big sums of data it's more likely that people will convert because of that then you drill down to the product page. The product page has so many different things that will affect your conversion rate. But let's use clothing for an example. One thing that will automatically uh, decrease your conversion rate is not having a size guide. If you have a model standing in the image wearing the clothing, and this is a individual who's 6'4 and weighs you know 210 pounds, and they have a t-shirt on, well, people are looking at this person but not getting a reference point because there's nothing in the background or there's a hard way to tell how tall this individual is. Just adding in the model size info and then having a size chart can be like, oh, I'm similar in that height or I'm very similar in body weight. That makes sense. I see how it fits on that individual, so I'm going to buy now. So that helps tremendously in raising your overall conversion rate. And you'll know this because people reach out and support and be like, yeah, I'm just worried about the sizing. How does it work? Because everybody's different, so that's really important. And you're going to find a lot of things like that where people want to know. And then the shipping times. I mean, if it takes you... four weeks or six weeks to ship it that's an automatic decrease in conversion rate because these days people can use Amazon and get something tomorrow and people are so used to this their expectations are set so high now you have to you know be good on the logistics side to get your product out there and ship it out quickly so I mean you want to shoot for an under seven days if possible that's going to raise your conversion rate and it's also going to keep customers happy and chargebacks prevented so once you start to understand where the problem points are and what people pay attention to and what they care about you're going to be able to raise your overall site conversion rate. A landing page is really good in terms of giving all the information, having the callouts around the shipping. FAQs is a good way to figure out how to design your product page. And what I mean by that is like, whatever the most frequently common questions are, just turn those into actual images and text blurbs and callouts on your site. Don't just leave it in the FAQ. Actually turn it into a design. So if they ask about sizing, create a size chart. If somebody asks a question about like, you know, where are the reviews? Get a review app. These are the things you can turn these into actual blurbs on the website and see a much higher conversion rate because your customers will ultimately tell you what to do. Um, yeah, that's, that's really good. Uh, I was also wondering, I guess, more on the someone just starting out, right? Um, and I know you, we've mentioned different things, right? We mentioned website conversion, we have mentioned organic, uh, paid social, uh, influencer marketing. Um, what would you say would be sort of the the path to to get to scaling i guess um when uh, it's a brand new and I'll, I'll leave it up to you as far as uh, the fictitious uh, company uh, it could be clothing it could be something else um but maybe just more of the the mix that they need to have at the beginning uh, middle stages and, and whenever they start scaling for a conversion rate uh, no, I mean, for everything in general uh, yeah just to yeah to, to get to to, to scaling Yeah, I mean, there's a lot of factors you got to look at in terms of, like, being able to scale up. One of the first things to pay attention to is, let's say you are a clothing brand, and if you're not getting any sales at all, whether it's the audience, ads, whatever, if you look at everything, ultimately, the one factor we always know that will push somebody through the door, no matter how bad the site is, no matter how, you know, unquality the product is, how long the shipping times are, is going to come down to the offer. If you're... If you've priced your item so high that people you know, don't even want to try it out and you're not getting sales, one of the fastest ways to start seeing sales pour through is just by getting an offer out there that makes so much sense and it's just irresistible to begin with that people are willing to go through all the friction just to get the product. What I mean by that is like some people price their product in the middle or they overly price it and the moment they cut the price in half or drop it down by 20% or make an offer where it's buy one, get one, all of a sudden they see sales. We've seen this in the jewelry space, they'll go like six weeks and they're like, I tried all these creatives, I tried all these ads, nothing's working. Okay, we've optimized the website. It's ultimately your price. So you're losing money. You're better off just getting sales and breaking even at this point. So you might as well drop it. So people will drop their price and all all of a sudden start seeing flow through. And you're not stuck on a lower pricing. And that's not the point here. The point is to prove that one, it was ultimately the offer that caused people to flow through. And two, this is now going to at least give you data to learn from, and then you can figure out your audiences. You can start to optimize and lower your cost per result. And then from there, once you have enough people going to your site and you've optimized your conversion rates and you started tuning everything because you need the data to do that, it's pretty hard to do without it, now you can raise your pricing again to where you want it to for your brand. If you're just starting out, people are worried about, oh, I want to keep high price because um, the perceived value around a brand. Nobody's perceived anything about your brand because nobody (laughs) knows you to begin with. So this is a false reality that you've already created in your head that you have to get out right now. Once you've gotten bigger or you're growing at an exponential rate, then you can start to shift the perceived value around it by raising your prices again and starting to lower your you know, stock and increasing the demand for it. But first, got to have people discover you for there to even be demand to begin with. So that is really what's going to allow somebody to, one, get out of the uh, race of trying to get past zero approaches. And let's say that, you know, You already are getting sales consistently, and it might not necessarily be profitable because you've done a lot of testing. The quickest thing to do is start cutting down things that you have. Like, if you have five different products, try to focus in on the two that are getting the most sales. If you have a lot of different ads, try to focus on the two that are getting sales. If you have a lot of audiences, try to focus in on the three to five that are producing the most results. Now you've cut the bulk of the weight out. You've become more efficient. Let it run for another one to two weeks. Now your profitability meter is going back up. Your margins are opening. What can you do on the website? You're at a 2%, you know, a month ago. Now you're at a 3% a month later from all the tweaks you've made. What are some more things you can do? And just look for ways to subtly increase that. And then once you have a good conversion rate that is holding and when you scale your ads, that number doesn't really deviate too much. Then you pretty much know you can start to scale up a lot more from there. As long as, you know, the audience is large enough and the ad is broad enough to convert people. Sometimes the ad's too specific. What I mean by that is like the copy is like, let's say you're selling a product to people who are married, like that's specific, but it's like married people, but it's only the uh, lady who's buying or something, right? It's even more specific. And if it's an older person's product, it's just so drilled down that it's one use case, but it's a product that isn't necessarily for married people. Even people in relationships that are just normal couples that are non-engaged could buy it as well. But because the copy has been framed and the ad is framed for married people, you're missing out on a segment because of that. So you got to have different segments of ads that are catered to different audiences. That way you can actually handle scale and volume. The people who are doing big volume understand you know, how to go broad with their copy and appeal to a large audience at the same time.
2: You, mean, you mentioned something there that I think is really good to kind of grab a hold of and it's a, I think it's a conversation that I, maybe uh a little confusing for a lot of people as far as when you say broad like broad has become i think a more coined term in like the advertising phase now with um so, <clears throat> we do a lot of broad targeting with our advertising. We suggest a lot of that too. I know a lot of people do. I know you guys um, as well. But um, what's your thoughts on broad targeting? And maybe you can define it for people too, because I'm using it kind of loosely there. But the broad targeting, and then how do you guys set up more specifically Facebook, Instagram ads? I'm sure it's maybe different for everybody, but maybe a uh, no pun intended kind of a broad stroke with um, how you're setting up ads and then what you would suggest to people uh, based off of different budgets, maybe if that changes.
0: Totally. Yeah, so I mean, broad is just essentially meaning that you're not getting specific on your targeting. You're not setting a specific age range. You're leaving your gender pretty open. The audience size is much larger. Like, I mean, you're in the US rather than targeting, say, 10,000 people in an audience, you're targeting 200 million. People might think, well, that's way too big. But you're really getting more specific with your creative and ad copy and letting the algorithm kind of doing the optimi- optimization for you. Because people find that if you get an audience that has like a 100,000 people in it, which is actually pretty tiny compared to a broad audience, which is, you know, tens of millions in most cases, what's going to happen is if that tiny audience of a 100,000 is converting really well for you, it might be getting the best return on ad spend. That thing has a time cap because eventually you're going to uh run out of people to target in that audience and not everybody's always online. So that cost per result is going to be short-lived. Whereas in a broader type audience if it's converting really well you know you have a good opportunity to scale up because there's a lot more people to go after
2: awesome i wish we could uh we had so much more time here but this has been extremely valuable in the time that we did what is a really good place to send people i know you got three different companies but a lot of these uh business owners are e-commerce um where is a should i just send them to the to the main website or where would you uh where would i send people who are listening to this to find out more about you guys
0: yeah, you can DM me the word podcast at Real Chase Chapel on Instagram or you can go to our website at chasechapel.com. I also have a YouTube. And if you want to sign up for our software beta that's launching here in the next month on Surge, just s-i-r-g-e dot i-o or dot com, either one.
2: Perfect. I will put all of those in there. Chase, thank you so much. Really tr- appreciate all the value.
0: Awesome. Thank you so much for having me.
1: That's a wrap. Before you go, screenshot this episode and tag us on Instagram stories at BitBraining and let us know what you thought about this episode. And next, make sure to leave us an honest rating and review on Apple Podcasts. This helps us reach more people and continue to improve the podcast for you. All right, guys, have a great day and we'll talk to you next week.